Once again, I'm so glad that I get to be here and preach to you guys. It's good to see you. I hope you are doing very well. Crazy times we're living in. And I'm glad that we get to come here to celebrate good and to speak about good. Uh, Talking about good news is not a denial of there being bad news. In fact, I think I said this last week, good news is good news in view of the bad, and it's a recognition of the bad, but it's also an acknowledgement that the God who is good, only the only one who is ultimately and completely good, is doing good and will do good in a final sense um, one of these days. We're excited about that. We're going to talk about the gospel today again. I mentioned to you earlier, and I uh, the, this, this kind of deviation from the one word, it's not because... I don't want to talk about what's in the one word, but rather it's this, just, uh, just this thing, this, this moment we're in. I believe we need as Christians once again to go back to some fundamentals and to remind ourselves of who we are. So what in the world is the gospel? I worked on this this week, having a hard time. I came up with a definition I'm going to share with you. This, there was this document that came out back in the year 2000. It was a, a gathering of different leaders, different religious leaders, Christian leaders from all over the world in trying to write down what the gospel was. And they ended up producing, as scholars often will, a, a document that was several pages long, a definition of the gospel. Mine's going to fit on a PowerPoint screen here in just a second. And uh, they, they went back a year later and interviewed a bunch of other religious leaders as they responded to the statement of the gospel. And each of them gave his or her opinion about what the gospel was, and it was fascinating to read that. And so I read through all that this week, and, and of course, reflecting on what the Bible, which is our ultimate source of authority, I, I came up with this statement I want to give to you, and we're going to walk through it a little bit this morning and thinking about the gospel. The reason we're doing this is, as I've already said, you know, this, the, the pressure points right now are hard, and we as Christians want to, want to be who God's called us to be. And we want to say and to think and to live in, in gospel-centered ways. You're here, I know you believe this, I, I think everybody in this room agrees with this, that how we live, as Christians, we believe that there's, there's, no, room, there's no door that's closed in our lives from God. Like, there, there's, whatever it is, wherever you go, we're not... We're not two-hour-a-week Christians. We're, we're not people who believe the gospel just regulates what we do in these, in these walls. We believe when you go to work tomorrow, when we go to school, when we go to the grocery store, when we engage, when we talk, when we whatever, it all is informed by the gospel, right? That's the foundation. That's, that's who we are. So it's important for us to remind ourselves of what that is. So with that in mind, I want to give you this definition. All right, I said it was short, but it's... For a PowerPoint screen, it's kind of long, I guess. Let me read it, all right? Let me read it, and then, and then I'm going to walk through it with you for a little bit. This is, this is how I define the gospel based on my understanding of Scripture, right? The gospel is God's loving initiative and fully revealing himself in Jesus Christ to absorb all of humanity's hostility at the cross, where he offered reconciliation and forgiveness to the world. <clears throat> the gospel calls everyone to trust and obey and to follow Christ by living in love, peace, justice, and equity with others. All right, you probably would write that differently. You'd, you'd probably, maybe even now, you're thinking, well, why did he leave that out? Or why, did, why is that in there? Or, you know, we can, we can argue about the, the wording and, and probably those discussions might be fruitful. Uh, but this is, this is what I came up with. It's kind of a work in progress, maybe. 
but I want us to think about it. And, and if you've got tweaks you want to make, you know, email or text me this week uh, because I'd love to hear how you think this definition ought to be changed a little bit based on your understanding of Scripture. Let's talk about it, though. I'm going to leave this screen up pretty much the whole time as we walk through it together. I'm going to highlight a couple of words. The gospel is God's loving initiative. His loving initiative. Let's talk about that for a minute. The loving initiative. I, I think this is important for us to acknowledge because we might be tempted to think sometimes that we are somehow better than other people out there who aren't Christians maybe, worldly people, unbelieving people, that there's something special about us. Now, God loves everybody, but He loves us a little bit more, you know? Like, there's something special about us. We're a little bit better. Uh, and, and I think we need to be careful about that, that sort of thinking. The gospel is God's loving initiative. It is, it is a God thing. It is a, to use a kind of a, a, a heavier word, a but an important one is a theocentric act. Salvation is a God-centered moment. It is something that he does. He is the shepherd who goes into the wilderness to find the one that's lost. He is the woman who drops what she's doing and searches the house to find that lost coin. God is the one who is acting out of his own initiative. It's based on his love. And so the text that I read a few minutes ago John 3, 16, for God so what? Everybody can quote this verse. For God so loved the world. Everything God does, it flows out of his essential nature. You and I are not loved. Now, we act lovingly. We love, but we are not defined completely and totally by that nature. God is. He's the only one. First uh, John describes him as that. God, God is love. And so when God acts, he acts consistently with his love. And so because he is a God of love, he could not in, and be consistent with his nature. He could not allow us to live in rebellion to him without the call to come back, without the opportunity to, to come back to him and to be reconciled to him. So it is, it is God who acts. He acts consistently with his love. This text, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Love this passage. But God being rich in mercy, but, but God, for John 3, 16, for God. The Bible is a book about God. It's a book about what God does. It is He who is acting. For God so loved the world, Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. When the Bible talks about what happens in salvation, it is a God-initiated act. God is the one who moves. And so when we're talking about the gospel, we need to recognize that God is acting. I need to hear that. I need to think about that right now because maybe some of us think, where is God? Why isn't God acting more definitively, more clearly, visibly? And we need to remember God doesn't always act in the visible ways that we want, but it doesn't mean he's not acting. God always initiates and he always initiates consistently with his nature, which is love. So the gospel is God's loving initiative. Let's, let's move to a second idea. In fully revealing himself in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. The gospel is about a man. First and foremost, it is about a man, a human being. Sometimes you've heard, perhaps, that we need to emphasize the man but not the plan. I'd push back against that because I think it's a kind of a sound bite that may have some truth in it, but it's, it's, uh, it's inadequate. 
I get the gist of that, and I, and I like part of that. I do believe that sometimes we can get so wrapped up in, okay, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live faithfully unto death. We emphasize that to the exclusion of focusing on what God has done. Sometimes that, that may be a temptation. doesn't mean the plan is unimportant, only that it needs to come up beneath the fact that God revealed himself in Jesus Christ, that that is the emphasis of everything that we do, you know? So, it's about a person. Uh, John 1, 1 through 3. Uh, in the beginning, God... Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, John 1, was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So John's echoing what God told us in Genesis 1, that Jesus is involved in creation. But then verse 14, John 1, 14 says, And the Word was made flesh. He became flesh. Most everybody in this room has been around this all your life. This is not a shocking statement to you. You've heard that verse quoted perhaps hundreds of times in your life. And it's kind of lost its, its punch, perhaps, to us. But we need to remember again what that means. That God, the one who said, let there be light and there was light, that God entered into the human experience in the form of Jesus Christ, born to the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. This was a divine moment. This is, this is an incredibly beautiful thing that God... He didn't just issue edicts from, from some throne room in heaven and say, you know, do this or I'll destroy you or don't do that. And, 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 and if you get everything right, then maybe I'll let you come closer. It, it's not that kind of divine thunderbolt kind of distant kind of thing with God. God enters into the human experience in Jesus Christ and experiences the full range of human emotions and, and, and problems. And so he wept. He got thirsty. He sweated. I mean, just Jesus went. He got discouraged. He went through what it meant to be human. That's part of the gospel. We don't just follow a teacher, though we acknowledge him as the greatest teacher. We don't just follow a miracle worker, though we do believe that. We follow God as a person, the incarnate Son of God, the only complete and full expression of deity becoming one of us. So I, I, I don't know. Um, you said that so many times. You've heard that so many times. I, I know. You already believe that. But do, do you understand how incredibly awesome that is? That God lived here with us? He, he, came, he became a person? That's a, it's an amazing thing. That's part of the gospel. It's, it's God in his love initiates. He initiates by Jesus coming here. He comes here. He doesn't just invite us to go there, but rather Jesus comes to be here with us. And so it's a man. That's the gospel. Now, the next, the, the third idea. Jesus Christ absorbed all of humanity's hostility at the cross. When that moment occurred, you remember this in reading, especially Matthew's gospel, when there was darkness over the face of the land, when there was an earthquake, when Jesus cried out at that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the heavens above were dark. The earth beneath, beneath was convulsing. Jesus himself was feeling the weight of the moment where he felt as if even God was not listening to him. At that moment, Jesus was bearing in his body, in his in his flesh, all of humanity's hostility. You know, and I think it's important for you to recognize, for me to recognize, 
that that hostility comes not just from everybody else, but it comes from us as well. You and I following in the footsteps of Adam and Eve in their decision to be their own gods, to determine their own truth. Genesis 3, you and I have followed in their footsteps and we do the same thing, have done the same thing. We've said to God, I want to do my thing, not yours. I want to define my truth, not yours. I want to decide what I believe to be right and what I believe to be wrong and live according to my own standard. This hostility to God. We still have that. Whenever there's injustice, as there is in the world right now, whenever there's injustice, it comes from the fact that people are hostile to God. And when we are hostile to the one who created us, then we, in essence, we live in hostility to other people created in his image as well. That explains, it doesn't justify, but it explains why we see some of the things that are going on in the world today because of this brokenness and this hostility. See, the reason the gospel changes the way we view our world, whether it's a, virus, a disease born of a virus or if it's injustice, uh, racial injustice, the, the reason that this defines how we respond is that this explains human nature. We are naturally hostile to God, and we can't even trust our own hearts. Jeremiah said that. And so it puts us in a difficult position. We have problems. And, and it, 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 probably ought to, it probably ought to cause us you know, to, to hesitate. I think probably everybody in this room has been surprised over the past three months, surprised back in March when there's, though we had heard warnings perhaps about a, some sort of a, a virus that's untreatable, um, initially at least, <coughs> and that wreaks havoc in the human body, that, that it could happen. We had heard that before, and of course there were things, uh, you know, uh, documents written uh, some years ago, and people saying this could happen and all that, but whatever, still surprised everybody. But I wonder, you know, maybe it shouldn't surprise us as much as it did, what I mean by that is this, the world is broken. It's broken. And, 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 and that the, the, the virus is, is another statement of a groaning earth. Romans 8 describes it like that. This, the, uh, the, the creation is groaning for redemption. A lot of times we talk about redemption in human terms, and we should. But we also need to think about it in global terms. The, the universe itself is groaning for redemption, longing for things to be made right. See, in Genesis 3, all that went awry. We became hostile to God. As a result of that, we became hostile horizontally with one another. And even the planet itself, even the universe itself, is, is in hostility, is in rebellion to God. And that's why we have viruses and tornadoes and hurricanes and whatever. The gospel changes how we view things. Now, that doesn't fix it. But it helps us to know that in Jesus Christ, he's taking all the hostility of, 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 of the world and, and particularly of, of human beings in himself. He's groaning. And his groaning reflects the groaning of people through the years and even the universe itself. Hostility. Where he offered reconciliation and forgiveness to the world. I believe, you know, that uh, Revelation and other passages talk about the new heaven and new earth where God's going to make everything right. 
God's going to fix a broken world. And, and so that what Jesus did there is that is, is when he took the hostility in himself and then he came out of the tomb on Sunday whole again, that was a precursor of the wholeness that we're going to experience one day. And so our relationship to God has been restored if we're in Christ. But it is still characterized by our own flawed nature. And so though you and I, if we're in Christ, are reconciled to him, we still fight against that. I fight against it. Week by week, we've got the daily struggles. You've got them, right? The daily struggles, your own pride, your own, your own um, sense of wanting to be independent, wanting to be your own arbiter of truth. You know, it's, it's this constant struggle. One day, we will be whole, fully whole. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Paul says in Philippians 2. And so, in, in, in Romans 8, the earth is groaning. It, God's going to make everything right. Everything's going to become whole. Everything's going to become whole. Reconciliation and forgiveness, our sins, which have created this barrier between us and God, will be removed forever. It's a beautiful thing. This is the gospel. Last thing, all right? God, the gospel calls. So it, it, it isn't just certain facts about God, but rather there's an invitation embedded in the gospel. And so 1 Thessalonians 2 says we're called by the gospel. We're called. Everyone is called to trust and obey and to follow. And so it's not just something we can talk about, good news that's out there somewhere, but rather it's good news that invites us to, to, to do differently, to live differently, to speak differently, to trust and obey. Uh, our sweet sister in Christ, Brielle, this morning when she was baptized, the water back here is kind of cold. She gasped a little bit when she went down into the water. But it was nonetheless a beautiful moment because what she was doing, and I, and I talked to her about it just prior to her baptism, was um, what she was doing was she was following the example of Jesus as he took upon himself our own sin and he died and was buried and then resurrected on Sunday. So she was identifying herself with Jesus in the, 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 the Brielle of the moment is dying to her life that is not lived under the lordship of Jesus and we're burying her and she's coming up out of the water as a new creation under the banner of the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's just a beautiful thing, you know? And it, 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 it reflects trust and obedience. Why are we baptized? We're baptized to identify, to obey, and to identify with the one who saves us. Reconciliation, we trust, we obey, we follow. And then it affects what we do and how we live. You know, it's just, I think I sense, I sense in Christians now, right now, um, I, I know it in myself, and, and maybe I, I, I think it's in you as well, uh, confusion and, and, and doubt, maybe a, a struggle to respond in a right way. And in a sense, we all I find ourselves grappling, I think, for good answers. And I don't know in every situation what those answers are, but here's what we do know. That as followers of Jesus, we've got to live our lives that are characterized by those attributes that are fully imaged in him and that are not fully only partially 
but hopefully growing to be imaged in us. And those are, we love when others hate. We bring peace when there's division. We promote justice when there's injustice. We want equity when there's not. Whatever that looks like in the particular moment we're in, it means speaking and acting and living consistently with the image of the one in whose image we are created, but so badly reflect a lot of the times, you know. But the gospel is calling us to do that and to be that. And so as we fumble our way ahead, we've got to come back to this foundation again and again. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know you guys already know this, but just to be reminded of this, just to come back to this foundation again and again and again, and, and, and we stumble and we, and we fall and we misspeak, we, miss, we take missteps, but we got to come back day by day by day, hour by hour, to the fact that we're called to be people of love and peace and justice and equity in whatever moment we're in. In the, in the world, I, this is what I pray, and I do believe they see it often, but I hope they will see it more from God's people throughout the world, that the world will look at the church and will see what it ought to be, and that the world can, in a sense, get behind us because they will see in us what true love and justice and equity and peace, what it looks like in God's people. All right, Let's lead the world to a better world, you know? That's what Christians are going to be doing. So, let me close, let me close with this. Good news for today, good news, that's, that's, that's a, a definition of it. It helps us to understand the bad news. It helps us to understand it. We interpret the bad news through that lens, and so we, we don't say, hey, there's not bad news, it's not sticking your head in the sand, all right? It's, it's acknowledging that it's there, but it's an explanation of why it's there. It's because we are, we are at war with God, that's why it's there. And so that creates the horizontal hostility as well as the hostility in the earth itself. And as a result of that, we trust that the one who created the world to be good will one day recreate it. And we will, as Joel prayed a minute ago, we will one day experience an existence and a relationship with God that is unfettered by the current limitations. And so I, I thought when during um, uh, Joel's prayer a minute ago, that, you know, we, I preached a sermon not too long ago about Revelation 20, 20 21. Uh, no tears in heaven. No mask in heaven either, you know. No viruses in heaven. No racism in heaven. No injustice in heaven. There will be this day where you and I are invited back into the presence of him in a way that's unmitigated, you know. And it'll be a beautiful thing, and that's what the gospel does in hearts, you know, and it brings us into a relationship with Him. So we look at the good news, we look at the bad news through the filter of the good news, and it helps us to respond and to see more clearly during times of chaos. If you want to be a partaker of the good news, but you right now are not reconciled to Him, we believe we're offering this on, on behalf of Jesus Himself. We invite you to come to Him, not to, not to us, but to come to Him confessing your faith in Him and being baptized into Him for the forgiveness of your sins so that you might experience reconciliation and then be one who is a harbinger 
one who is spreading peace and reconciliation in your own life, we invite you to come today to be baptized. Maybe you need to ask for prayers. We'll pray for you as well. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, I hope you'll do that now. There's a fountain.